So today, I'm going to look at a, com, at a, com, at a psalm that is lots of tropes, as we said in high school, coming out today. I want to look at a psalm that's focused around the sun. As I was praying, I was just going, Lord, we're, we're talking about summer. Please can you just show me something in the Psalms that's, that's key to the sun and what that pictures about who you are. So I was praying through about seven or eight because there's a lot of different Psalms that talk about the sun. And I thought, well, let me just get on my study Bible. I haven't looked at it for a long time. And uh, I opened it and it opened to one of the Psalms that I've been praying about. So I decided that is the one the Lord is showing me to do. It was absolutely spot on whilst I've been praying through it. It was a very miraculous time for me in my office. So uh, we are going to be looking at... Psalm 19, and uh, I would love us, can we actually read this together? We don't usually do this, but I'd love us to read this together out loud, because it's just an incredibly inspiring one, and so I'll try and go slow, but, but let's do it all together. So, let's read. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out speech, night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens is pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to their other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. Oh, guys, I missed it. You did great reading for the first part. Perfect. Making the... We'll do the rest of the reading a little bit later. You've done very well. I actually put it in there because I knew I'd be tired of your voices, so I decided to... No, not at all. Sorry about that. Having some media issues. So... We read that part, which is perfect, it's where I wanted to uh, end off with this. So I remember as probably towards my teenage years or into my early teens, being in Kariba, either staying at a house or on a houseboat and just lying looking at the stars. Did anyone do that in the younger years? Or has anyone done, done that? A few. So I remember doing this, and it doesn't have to be Kariba, really a place where there's lack of light. And so it gives you a great picture of the heavens. And I remember us lying up there looking at part of the Milky Way, looking at these stars, sometimes tracking satellites that went across, and also looking for shooting stars. And many times in Kariba, you would be out there looking up, and these stars would be bursting across the sky. You sort of catch them out the corner of your eye, but just a very special time, but also a humbling time, where you look across and just go, those are stars, those are all sort of the size of the sun, or close to it, and I'm just here on this tiny little boat in Kariba, or I'm sitting on the edge uh, of a veranda, looking up at this, incredibly humbling, but incredibly special to see at the same time. Hard to comprehend the sense of awe that I was feeling and that I hope you feel as well when you look up to a night sky like that where you can genuinely see the stars in all their fullness. Now all of those stars, many of them larger than the sun in our solar system, burn brightly for us to see. Many of them are too far away for us to see. So we see, they say, an average of 2,000 when you look across at the sky. Sometimes you see a few more. But obviously that's just a small portion of the millions and millions of stars in our universe. And it's incredible. There's verses that talk about the fact that God counts them by name. He counts the millions of stars by name. He knows every single one that's out there. There's another one in Revelation. It talks about him holding the stars in his hands. So these 
burning balls of, of gas and fire like the sun. He just holds in his hand. Talks about that as well. And then it talks again uh, in other passages, Isaiah, that he stretches out the heavens like a curtain. You just have this picture of God sort of standing and then just going, stretch out the heavens and there's the galaxies. But just with one pull of the curtain that we see. Gives a great picture of the magnitude of who God is and how large the world is and how small we are. And that's a healthy place to be. It's a healthy, humbling place for us to be. So here's a few pictures that I just wanted to look at quickly, which uh, just astounded me as I was researching. So those, you can't see it incredibly now, but that's our Milky Way galaxy that we're based in and stretching across. You can then obviously turn it and see it in different angles. That's obviously from the other view. And this is our galaxy, but we are just in a tiny little portion of it. And this is millions and millions of uh, miles across. And then over here, I'll show you, just so you can see. I don't think this has a pointer. Oh, it does. Perfect. So there's a little black circle that you can see over there. I should have done it in white. And that is our little solar system over there. So this is just our galaxy, and there's millions of galaxies, and they're finding more all the time. And then our tiny little solar system bridges that little circle over there, so our sun and everything else is just in that little space over there in this one galaxy out of many, many others. And so I just continue to look at this, and then you read in that verse, verse, uh, verse 1 and 2, the heavens declare the glory of God, they do, when we just look out and see that at night, the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. And then that verse 2, day after day they pour out speech, night after night they communicate knowledge, without saying anything. You just have to look up, you just have to marvel to say, well, if there's a God, which I believe 100% that there is, who created this, what kind of God must that be if he can create this universe that we see around us? Over here, if we go a little bit closer, I showed this a few weeks ago, but obviously there's just some of the planets and actually finding some other smaller ones around, but moving from furthest out to the closest to the sun. Obviously, we have Earth over there, which is pretty small, and I just love the fact that there's just the outer edge of the sun, and it shows very healthily one tiny or average-sized star in the universe, the sun, and uh, there's the Earth compared to just a little edge of the sun. Mind-boggling for us to look at this. And uh, Professor John Bloom, famous professor, spoke at a number of different universities. Look at what he says. I'll read it out. And it's not only the universe's beginning which is startling. Our universe, talking about uh, where, where we're at, just happens to have the right size, the right density, the right chemical composition, and balance of forces to make life possible anywhere in it. The same applies to our planet Earth. Secular scientists today describe Earth as rare, as lucky, that it was precisely the right balance of size, mass, composition, spin, sister planets, and a friendly sun to make complex life possible on it. The more exoplanets we discover, the more our Earth and solar system look like an incredibly lucky throw of the dice. Lucky, as he puts in inverted commas. At some point, chance becomes so improbable that miracle or design become far better explanations. If only science was allowed to use these terms. But Christians can state the obvious. And so I've got over here, just for you to see, beautiful black dustbin bag. And I'm going to build you an incredible tower. And uh, it, this usually takes me a long time, but I've worked on it um, over the weekend practicing. So I just make sure I get it right without any mistakes, I hope. So this is a wonderful tower. Um, Sarah bought it for me. 
for my uh, birthday present. And then I've kindly donated it to the girls once I completed it. It took me a few months to work it out. And so we've got this. There's also a really incredible surprise at the end, which you see at the end. It makes it even more, just making sure I get this right. Um, so uh, I'll match up the last ones. So, I, thank you, thank you, Rich. This is very difficult. <laughs> okay, and then obviously the surprise, which is most important. Does anyone know the surprise at the end? Yes, right, well done. Okay, so, uh, thank you very much, thank you very much. Uh, so, um, it, w- it was actually an amazing present. I really h- hated having to give it to the kids, but I thought it was better that I donated it. So, my love, I'm sorry. Um, it is still my birthday present. So, now, this took me a little bit of time and effort to build. So, I obviously, to make this look as it should, you do need to get the right sizing. Otherwise, it's difficult to work, and it's good to finish off with a duck on top. Now, this isn't the most difficult creation, but this is a small-scale picture of the improbability of the universe and what we live in happening by accident. So they say that for all of the constants that we need for life on earth to be satisfied, for that to all happen randomly, it's a 1 times 10 to the 37 chance. Now to put that into our understanding, if you imagine the United States and if you imagine coins covering the base of the whole of the United States and then making a pile up to the moon, which is 239,000 miles, that is about the probability. So those coins covering, you know, the entire um, of the United States and then built all the way up 239,000 miles up to the moon, that would give you the probability of the earth happening by accident. But I thought I'd do it in an even smaller context. So, I mean, that sounds pretty difficult to me. So this should be really easy. Now... This isn't a high probability. There's a lot less constants in here. They say there's about 26 that are absolutely essential for Earth. So this is a lot less. So if I just pour this in here and I put the dump, it should be pretty easy by me just spinning this around like this to just make it. I mean, it should be very, very simple. Random chance. Not that close. I'm just trying to get one on, actually. And I don't want to break this, otherwise it will be wasted. Black plastic bags. We need a lot of those in Zimmer. Not one yet. Okay, so um, you get my point. And I'd love to chat to some of the scientists and say, guys, if you just do that for your whole life on Earth, and if you can just get two on in the right order, I'll be impressed. But the reason why I do that is because we can have such confidence as Christ followers that when we read passages like this about the heavens declaring the glory of God, and when we think about the creative power and how the world came about, we can be incredibly confident that it is created by the God that we serve. Incredibly confident. Because actually it is an awful lot more difficult to think of the random chance of 1 times 10 to the 37 creating the world in which we live. And so you can have confidence, we can have confidence as Christ followers. And then what's incredible is uh, we, we go on a little bit further. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge, which they do. There's no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. That's talking again about Romans 1, where they don't often say anything. They don't often uh, have to say anything. But sometimes their voice is not heard. And that happens. So often I've spoken to people about the creative power of the universe and what the universe is about and how it operates. And they're like, nah, definitely can't, can't picture it being created by God. 
and because sometimes their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. And now he focuses in on the sun. And there's a reason for that, because the sun plays a pivotal role in our lives on earth and in what we see. So the psalmist and, and the Lord through him is narrowing down to go, yeah, guys, it might be quite far and difficult for you to understand everything about the universe, but let's just look at the sun and how the sun operates in its glory. And so he goes into these passages. Pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home, excited and excellent. Uh, in the morning, it rejoices like an athlete running its course, doing a marathon. It's talking about the rising to the setting of the sun. Rise from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Nothing is hidden from the sun's heat. It's incredibly special to us as humans. It provides light, provides warmth, amongst many other things. The sun is so key to life as we know it on earth. Any further away, we die. Any closer, we die. It's incredibly important to operate where it is, but we need it for life. And God knows that. And that's why he brings it into Scripture. He brings it into Scripture because it's such a focal point for us as humans. He created it, and so he ensures it's at the center place in his word, like in this psalm. And it helps to give us understanding of a world carefully created and crafted for our survival. And I love this phrase. Nothing is hidden from its heat. I'm not sure where you felt the sun's heat the most. I studied in America for a short period, and it was in Ohio, the Midwest, probably the flattest, most boring land you could be in. Um, but if you like looking at maize fields or cornfields for as far as the eye can see, that is the place to go. So if you wanted to go on exploration through America to see all the key spots, go there for fields. If you want to see fields, go there. So anyway, it went from absolute extremes. Our coldest day was minus 27, and then it went up to close to 50 degrees, but with like a 95 to 98% humidity in the summers. And in summertime, there was obviously air conditioning in all of the buildings, but then you had to really psych up to get to the next lesson. Because as the doors opened, you got hit with a wall of heat that I cannot describe. So you'd have everyone waiting in the aircon, and then literally you knew, okay, it's going to be about a three-minute scramble to the next air-conditioned room. And in winter, it was to the next heated room, because there was no in-betweens there. And so it was a, a real psych up, okay, we've been in the, in the classroom, whatever else, time to go. And as you run, it was like getting hit with a brick wall of heat, like I've never experienced. And you made the two-minute run, or the two-minute walk, until you got into the aircon and you could breathe again. And to me, that was such an experience of proper heat. Yes, you can experience it in Kariba or in the Lofeld, but that was just the sickening heat that you felt the suppressive weight on top of you. And so what this phrase talks about, and I just absolutely love it, love it where it talks about nothing's hidden from its heat. It's talking about the fact that the sun is so powerful and it seems to get a picture of God in this process that you actually can't really escape. Now you can get into the shade. Yes, you can create artificial conditioning. But in many respects, when the sun is burning down on you, whether you're under a tree or not, you feel the heat. You may not have the direct heat of it, but you feel that sense of heat. And it's such a great picture of God. It speaks about purity. It speaks about power. It speaks about a searching nature, getting down to who we really are. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. He is absolutely pure. And the sun is a tiny picture of God's power and his purity and his searching nature. And all of this should lead you and I to have a great sense of awe and reverence. All of this. It should get us into this incredibly humble position where we realize that we're incredibly small, that God is incredibly big, 
and that we need to sit back and honor him for the king that he is. He is powerful beyond comparison. We are small and he is massive. And if you don't have a sense of holy fear when you think about God, and the Bible often talks about the fear of the Lord, that's not thinking that he's going to beat us up. It's not that kind of fear. It's a fear of, Lord, but for your mercy and grace, I would not be in existence. It's, a, it's an understanding that without him allowing us to breathe in this very moment, we would cease to exist. The world would end as we know it. And so it's this healthy fear of the Lord of who he is. And that's the starting place for us in many respects in how we live our life for the Lord. If we don't have a healthy, reverent fear of who he is, we can often take him too lightly. He can become a slot machine. He, be- he can become a buddy. He can become a mate. And he is far more than that. Yes, he wants to be a close friend. Yes, he loves us deeply. But we need to have a healthy sense of awe in Creator God. Because before you and I will take him seriously, we need to fall at his feet and realize that his mercy and his grace is the only thing that sustains us. It is all of him for his glory and for our enjoyment. And I just pray that as a church, as a people, we would have such a healthy perspective of who King Jesus is. That we would know without a shadow of doubt who he is and that we would have a humility to our lives that is seen by all. Because once you see God in his rightful place, your life naturally flows out of that and it goes from awe and reverence to a changed perspective into what he asks of us to do. Because when we know who he is and at the same time how much he loves us, it's very easy to flow into living what he has called us to. And that's what the psalmist now goes into for the next bit. He's in awe of who God is and then you see a transformation to what that does in his life. And so we read on with the next. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. There we go, see it came in now. Making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are reliable, altogether righteous. I put a little table to map this out so it's easy for us to follow. And this is how it looks. So if you start up, you look in verse 7. I enjoy this. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. So when, um, when you have this healthy reverence for the Lord, you see what he says as instruction to you. And that changed perspective. Yes, it's an instruction. But the perspective is you see it as perfect. Yeah, God could always instruct us. He could tell us what to do. But when we have a healthy reverence and our perspective changes, we see that as perfect. We see what he says to us as perfect. It's not just random words. It's his word. And so we take it seriously. And the result of that is a renewed life. Something that all of us want. It happens. We move from reverence to a changed perspective. And that's the result. Next one. The testimony of the Lord. So as we live in in reverence of him. The testimony of the Lord we see as trustworthy. The end result is wisdom. If you want wisdom in your life, it starts with reverence. And you'll see his word for what it is that will move you to see it as trustworthy. And that gives you wisdom. His precepts, things that he stands on, the perspective we get is that they're right. And that makes you and I glad. We're happy people. We're joyful people. Because we see what he says and what he stands on as right. The commands of the Lord. So what, what he shouts out, what he stands on, are radiant. And that makes our eyes light up. 
His commands, they're not things that you go, oh, that's so oppressive, that's so difficult. Actually, you see the reverse. You go, wow, what you're saying, God, those are incredible. Those are bright. Those are truth. Those are real. And your eyes light up and it brings an excitement to your life. Then holy fear. You read a little bit further. The precepts. Verse 9. The fear of the Lord is pure. So it's the right thing. We should have a healthy fear of the Lord. And there's a purity in that. And that will endure forever. That will follow on forever in this lifetime and in the lifetime to come. Then the last one, the ordinance that he says, and obviously all of these are many things that he said, that he stands on, they're reliable. He is reliable, 100% reliable. And the result is that it says at the end there, altogether righteous. Isn't that powerful? So powerful that when we line up our hearts with a healthy reverence for who God is, that changes our perspective and his word, what he says and what he stands on, no longer becomes just another writing or another piece of wisdom that we could hear on. It becomes something that's true and real, 100% trustworthy. Absolutely awesome. And who wouldn't want to have those results on the right? Who wouldn't want to live a renewed life, to be wise, to be full of gladness and joy, to have your eyes lit up and your life full of excitement, to have a life that endures forever and something that is right and something that is true. Everyone wants that. It's just so often we search in the wrong places. We expect to get it in ways that are opposite to God's ways. But it's actually in the pursuit and the understanding and the rest of Him that we see what it should be. If we want to get the things on the right, it comes from taking God's word as truth, following Him above everything else. It won't come about through lucky dipping His word or choosing certain parts. I was at a wedding yesterday at Peter and Sarah's. Uh, it was a special time and we can welcome them back when they come back. And I was there talking about the yah but verses. The ones where we're like, yeah, but those parts of the Bible we just don't really want to look at. We like the certain parts, but those ones, yeah, but they don't really apply to me. There's so many of those verses, but we will not experience those things on the right until we take all of God's word as it is. I've heard many people say things like, I love most of the Bible. Except just that part. I'll take all of the Bible, but that part doesn't really apply to me. We need to tweak a few things because we're now in a modern world. So the Bible's not really timeless. It did apply, but some of those parts, it's just so different to the world in which we live. And so it really needs to be tweaked and changed. We need to change some of what God said. Or I like all of the books, but definitely not Job. Job is less biblical than all the others. It's kind of there by accident. Because what Job went through and what God allowed him to go through, that's definitely there by accident. It's not really a book of the Bible. But the Psalms about how incredible he is, yes, that's all my luck. I've got to be so careful that this is all his word. All of it. From the start to the finish, it's his word. And if we will take it as truth, 100% truth, we will experience what we have on the right. But if we don't, and if we want to lucky them, we will never experience the fullness of what he has for us. We've got to take the things that we grapple with, the things we don't really understand, the things that in our finite human mind, we're like, God, that, that's just a mystery. I just don't really get it. We've got to be okay with that because we're never going to know as much as the Creator. But we know enough. We really do know enough. If you want the results on the right, it'll come through believing that this is and completely is. His word. And then you'll get the life that you've always got um, dreamed of. And as you live out God's word, you'll find 
that it, this is the beautiful result. This is the beautiful result as you follow that process, change your perspective. This is what the psalmist says. Those things that God says, they are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of gold. We know that uh, writers David and others had, had immense wealth. They are sweeter than honey, dipping from a honeycomb. Isn't that an incredible result? That his word is more valuable than anything we can get in this lifetime. What he has to say to us, his commands, his precepts, they are more valuable, they are more exciting, they bring more joy than anything else we could pursue in this lifetime. If you're struggling to get to that place, start at the beginning. If you're struggling and going, but there's just things in this world that I know that I need, there's things I couldn't do without, or if I could just get that off, I could just have a little bit more, or if I could just have that. If you're struggling and you're not feeling that God's words are more desirable to you than anything else, Go back to the beginning. Start again. Get back to the majesty of who God is. Let that sink deep into your soul. Start to take him at his word and you will see a transformation in your perspective. And you'll see what his word becomes in your life. And then a warning. Although I would say it's rather an encouragement. In addition, your servant is warned by them. So this is interesting. God's saying, I'm laying these things out to you. Verses 7 to 9. I'm laying them out and I'm saying... These are what, this is what my word is. This is the change perspective. This is the result. And then look at this incredible warning of, of them. In keeping with them, there is an abundant reward. And so in many respects, I think it's an encouragement because the warning is really, if you don't follow these things and if you don't take God at his word, there isn't abundant reward. But he's talking about a reward, yes, possibly in this lifetime, but he's talking an abundance of reward now and forever. And forever. Ever. God does reward us for how we live. He does honor diligence. He does honor the way in which we live. I can testify that to that Sarah and I with our kids. His provision, his abundance, the joy he brings. He's a good God. He's a great father. He provides many, many things for our enjoyment. May come in this lifetime, but that is not what we should be shooting for. That isn't the reward of this lifetime. Is not what we, we should be shooting for and targeting for. Because if eternity is real... And if it really is forever, and if we really believe that, then the best and most exciting reward is definitely the eternal one. Definitely. Without a shadow of a doubt. The reason why we focus so much on earthly reward is because we struggle to believe that eternity is real. We struggle to believe that when God says the rewards there are better than anything else you can experience, because we struggle to comprehend that, we often settle for second best. The reward in heaven will never be destroyed. It will never be lost. It will never be stolen. Our problem is that so often we don't believe heaven is as good as Jesus promises it is. And so we focus much more on earthly reward than we should. So the closeout as we come in for the landing. Verse 12. So he's gone on to going, we follow God's words. And then he says, there's great reward and and I know the great reward. And then he talks about the change of heart that he has. And this is so powerful. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. This is amazing. The psalmist is saying, in light of who you are, God, in light of how good you are, and in light of me wanting to follow you, please show me the sins I don't even know about. Please forgive me of those, but I want to have my life right before you. The things that I don't even know that I've done wrong, please show me or please forgive me for these. Then he goes a step further. He's always spoken about the hidden sins. And then he says, moreover, 
keep your servant from willful sin. Do not let them rule me. We're all going to sin. That's going to happen. None of us are going to get away from it. But there's a difference between being ruled by sin and by sinning, coming to God, sorting it out, resolving it, and moving on from that place. There's a big difference. But he's saying, Lord, please save me from willful sin. And then this is very powerful. Then I will be blameless and cleansed. We're cleansed by Jesus Christ. So in a sense, we're obviously blameless before God. Once we're Christ followers, we know heaven's home. Nothing's going to change that. But he wants his life to look like Christ, the psalmist. And then this is powerful. Then, then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. And this is very powerful. Sarah and I have been chatting recently. Um, we've been incredibly challenged by what it means to imitate Christ. What does it actually mean? What does it mean to look like him in every aspect of our lives? What does it mean when someone looks at our life and says, when I hear what Craig says, when I, when I hear what he, what he does and how he acts, when I hear what he says about other people, that looks like Christ. Obviously, it doesn't a lot of the time. So I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm close at all, but I'm just saying that's what it means to imitate Christ. It means that when people look at us, they look at the Jesus of the Bible and they go, those look very similar. We know they're on a journey. We know they're not perfect, but it looks very similar. We're always going to sin, but the Lord, with His help, can squash those, can keep those under control for His glory, and we move on for them. But this part about blatant rebellion against God, purposefully opposing Jesus when we sin, it's quite a scary thing. But I just have to share that juicy story about that person. I've just got to share it. I've got to share that story. I've got to tell people about it. That's blatant rebellion against God. It is opposing Jesus Christ. But I just don't really want to, you know, pay tax to this government. This government that God put in place, by the way. But I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. It's blatant rebellion against Jesus Christ. But those people down the road, well, those friends of mine, they are definitely not living like Jesus. When I look at me and I look at them, I'm just doing so much better than them. I just feel so sorry for them. They just haven't seen him yet. They're just nowhere near as good as me. You may not say it in as many words, but that is blatant rebellion. Pride. Pride. Blatant rebellion. It's one of the only things in the Bible where it says God opposes the proud. When we're living with pride in our life, we're in direct opposition to the King of Kings. And so we can treat sin so lightly. We can treat it so lightly in our lives. My challenge for each of us, and, and I'm full of sin just as we all are, we're going to battle it our whole lives, is to say, Lord Jesus, please work in my life so that I become more and more like you, so that I do look like I imitate Christ. But please help me not to wash over or dust over sin that I don't think is that bad. Because all sin, willful sin, is blatant rebellion against the King of kings. So the last closing point, verse 14. May the words of my mouth, this is where the psalmist comes down to at the end. And I just love the journey that he takes us on. Magnitude of who God is, understanding who God is, and then we move into a change of perspective. So we see his commands and his precepts as absolutely right, absolutely holy. We have the promise of incredible reward. And from there it moves into going, but Lord, I just want to live the right way. I want to honor you the right way. And then this is the closing on prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, 
Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'd love us to close and uh, I'd love us to almost say this in our hearts together. So you can, you can close your eyes. I'd love us to just, maybe even just with your heads bowed, maybe you can take that mental journey yourself and see which place you're at. And maybe for some of us here today, maybe you're exploring the Christian faith. Maybe you've come here today, you've been invited by a friend. If you have, turn around and say thank you to your friend. Not now, but afterwards. But, uh, or maybe you've just come through the doors, you've seen it advertised. Maybe for you, you're at the starting blocks of going, I actually never thought that God is as incredible as He is. And right now, in this moment, you can turn and you can say, I realize that but for you, I would be dead. But for your grace, I wouldn't be here. And the only hope that I have, in spite of all my sin, is like what we sang and lead me to the cross. The only hope I have for my sin to be paid, for me to be right with the Holy God, is to reach out and say, please forgive me of my sin. Thank you for the price you paid for me on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice, and please make me a new creation. So maybe it's a starting point for, for some of you. You can think through that today. Maybe for some of us, we need to have a reawakening of just how small we are in comparison to the great God that we serve. Maybe for some of you, you're in the process of changing your perspective to taking God's word as 100% reliable, 100% trustworthy, all of it, every single page. Maybe for you, it's changing your perspective to go, God, I realize who you are. And now I want to take what you say, everything that you say, as your word, and I want to live by it. You're never, you're never going to regret that. When you take God at his word, you will never regret it. And you'll see the, the blessing that he pours out on your life and what he does in your life. And then maybe for some of us, probably for all of us as well, it's reassessing our lives and reassessing our sin and reassessing the weight of our sin. Because I know I take it lightly. Maybe for some of us, it's sitting going, Lord, please show me hidden sin. Please show me sin I don't even know about. But also, please show me the gravity of what I think is a small thing. Please show me the gravity of the words that I say, the meditation of my heart, the actions that I take, and please show me those things that are not pleasing to you, Jesus, because I don't want to be in blatant rebellion to a God who loves me. We don't get this right to get our lives right or want them to be right out of a terrified fear. We get it right out of a holy fear and an understanding of His love for us. So you've been thinking through that process now I'd love you to just pray this quietly in your hearts. I'll read it and then we'll close off. Just quietly in our hearts. You can, you can really mean this prayer and I know it will absolutely transform your life wherever you are at the moment. It's just to close off with just to say, Lord Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You can pray that and that will absolutely transform your life. Just with your heads bowed, um, I just want to give people an opportunity. Is there anyone uh, here today, everyone's heads are bowed. It was great to see people saved and give their lives to the Lord a few weeks ago. Is there anyone today who you, you haven't been able, you've just assessed who, you know, who God is, you've realized your need of him. And that passage there at the end which says, my rock and my redeemer. 
Your rock means that he is a safe place for you to stand on. You can trust in him. He is absolutely trustworthy. He is immovable. And redeemer means that he is, has bought you at a price. He has bought you out of the slave pit to sin as it were. And uh, is there anyone here today where you know that you have never bent the knee to God? You have never um, accepted the fact that you have sin in your life and that you need him. And that you need him desperately for the payment of your sin now and for all eternity. Is there anyone today? Just slip up your hand if there is. If there is. Well, you know you've never given your life to Christ and you want to do it today. No one today, but that's okay. Because uh, if you've been too shy to raise your hand, uh, you, you can pray to him. You come speak to us afterwards. But otherwise, I know we, we need to give these opportunities because Jesus is on a mission. We heard about it in the Word. And uh, we get sent on that same mission. We want to see people come to faith and come to Christ. Be saved for their sin. So, thank you, Jesus, for this time. I say you would make us like you. And that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable to you. Your amazing name we pray. Amen.